You're listening to the Poshcore Podcast. Last December, 196 nations reached a deal at the United Nations Conference on Climate Change in Paris. They agreed to set a goal of limiting global temperature rise to less than 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. The agreement was hailed around the world as a landmark success, but for many island nations the agreement may have been too little too late. Many of these nations had been campaigning for a temperature limit of no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius, Representatives from island nations protested outside the convention in Paris. The average global temperature has already increased an average of 1 degree Celsius above pre-industrial levels, and many island nations are already experiencing the devastating effects of this increase. One of these nations is the Republic of Kiribati. Kiribati is a Pacific island nation composed of 33 coral atoll islands. The total land area of the 33 islands of Kiribati is slightly larger than New York City, but the islands are spread out over a vast area of the Pacific Ocean, about the size of the United States. Kiribati straddles the equator and the international dateline. Mike Roman is a cultural anthropologist. He wrote his PhD dissertation on the cultural effects of climate change on the people of Kiribati, but Mike first experienced Kiribati as a Peace Corps volunteer from 2000 to 2002. What did you, what was your first thought when they told you you were going to Peace Corps in Kiribati? Where is it? They gave you a little package of information and on that package it said Pacifica and it had little dots drawn on a map with an arrow point to those dots. I'm like, okay, I, I don't like fish, I hate hot weather and I'm severely prone to motion sickness. Did something go wrong? <laughs> um, I was an education volunteer and I worked in the primary schools. And can you tell me a little bit about the Ikiribas culture? It's wonderful. <laughs> um, they're the most kind people that you'll ever meet. Family means more than money. Land means more than money. It's a different way of life than you have here in the United States. Land in Kiribati belongs to your ancestors and your family. And you know, you live on the land that you're born on and when you die, you go back to that land and you watch over future generations of your family. Um, and so there's much more of a connection to land, which when you talk about climate change and the disappearance of land, that is a concept that I think nobody takes into account. The people of Kiribati, known as E-Kiribati, are ethnically and culturally Micronesian, but Christianity was introduced to Kiribati in the 19th century. Most Ikiribati today are either Catholic or Protestant. During Mike's Peace Corps service, religion played a role in local skepticism regarding global warming. They are a very Christian uh, community, but in the Bible, God said, Oh no, I promise never to flood the earth again to Noah. And uh, with that promise, I'll create a rainbow. And in Kiribati, you see rainbows every day. Um, so you're also contending with religion. In 2000, I wrote a letter home to mom and dad and said something like, global warming could be a problem. The following is from the letter that Mike wrote home to his parents. Quote, it's so pretty here, but scary too. I heard about this thing called global warming before I left home, and I just wonder if it's true. Being here sure makes it real to me. But I guess I trust the U.S. government. 
They wouldn't send us here if they thought it was a serious threat. I asked Micaiah what he thought about global warming. He assured me it was nothing serious. You know, Mike, he said, they said Kiribati would go under the ocean in the 1980s, and look, we're still here. So don't worry. God promised Noah to never flood the earth again. So see, no need to worry. End quote. Sixteen years later, Mike and his e-Kiribati friends and family have a very different outlook. And so, for your average e-Kiribati, um, how many of them do you think are starting to realize that, you know, this is actually going to happen? I, it's a lot more, because things are getting worse, faster. One major problem with life on Kiribati is the water supply. Fresh water is becoming increasingly difficult to access. The problem with uh, the water situation is you get water from the well. The way that coral atolls are, are formed, coral atolls are porous, and salt water is heavier. It's more dense than fresh water. And so what happens is the salt water will go into the coral atolls, it'll be filtered by the coral, and then it'll create a fresh water basin underneath the atoll. And with the less dense water, uh, you can actually build a well, dig down, and dip a bucket, get fresh water. But with the rising seas, the salt water is actually, there's more of it, so it pushes the fresh water up. And uh, with the tides, king tides washing over the land, the salt water goes into the well, so you have it coming from both ways. The islands of Kiribati have a shallow water table and limited land area, so it's easy for human and animal waste to pollute the drinking water. But in recent years, Kiribati has been inundated with extremely high tides, known as king tides. The La Nina ocean cycle combined with rising sea levels has produced higher tides than ever before experienced in Kiribati and other Pacific Island nations. In 2015, king tides flooded several islands. Salt water inundated the wells, spoiling the drinking water. This extremely polluted water is becoming a serious problem for the e Kiribati. That's happening more frequently now. When um, salt water washes over the land, within three to five days you start seeing vegetation go. That creates more of a problem because trees hold the land together. So without these natural vegetation um, apparatuses to hold the land together, you get more erosion. And with more erosion, you lose more land. In addition to king tides, weather patterns in the Pacific are shifting. Pacific island nations like Kiribati and Fiji used to sit in the middle of a corridor of calm weather. But over the last few decades, typhoons and powerful storms have begun to strike these island nations more frequently. Cyclone Pam, which caused complete devastation in Vanuatu in 2015, also caused major damage in Kiribati. It wiped out the island that I worked on, Tamana, and it destroyed so much of the main island, road infrastructure, houses. Um, I had a friend who said something like, I'm not ashamed to tell the world that I'm homeless now because of climate change. In addition to saltwater infiltration, waterborne illness in Kiribati is increasing as well. Yes, the high tides are really visually dramatic and the big crashing waves do destroy our roads and our seawalls and our homes. But I think the most pressing problem is drinking water. Everybody gets dysentery at some point. Lulu DeBoer is a documentary filmmaker. Her mother is E. Kiribati. 
her father is an American who served as a Peace Corps volunteer in Kiribati in the 1980s. Lulu was raised in the United States. She studied film at Stanford University, and she traveled to Kiribati last year to meet her extended family and to shoot a documentary about Kiribati and climate change. At the time of this interview, Lulu had been living in Kiribati for almost a year. So a lot of people think of Kiribati as like a small island nation. But if you switch your perspective a little bit, you could think of Kiribati as just a giant ocean nation. And our coral reefs are just as important to us as the actual land itself. So when you talk about like, oh, you can talk about a land erosion and the roads going away and people's houses flooding. But the other half of the story, which is just as important, is, well, how's the reef doing? How are the fish doing? Is there coral bleaching? Will ocean as like acidification because of climate change just starve us out because it'll kill our reefs? So I think the most pressing issue right now is water and food security. But you, you should not at all downplay the danger. Like, Kitabas is in great danger. This is a very fragile island, a very fragile ecosystem, and the big countries have a huge influence on us. And it makes us, like, we are very powerless to control these factors. The rising seas may not completely flood Kiribati for another 50 years, but the polluted water supply and the loss of vegetation and arable land may render the islands uninhabitable within the next five to 10 years. This is real. This is not something 100 years or 200 years from now. This is something that's happening right now. Um, we don't even have five years to wait. It's, that's how dire it is. Former President Anote Tong said, within five years, we need to leave. We need to start migrating. Those who want to leave need to go. Yeah. And so his plan was to um, have them go to Fiji. In 2014, Kiribati achieved the unusual distinction of becoming the first nation to buy land on another nation for the purpose of possibly relocating the entire population because of the effects of climate change. The president of Kiribati at that time, President Anote Tong, secured the purchase of 20 square kilometers of land on the island of Vanu Levu in Fiji. The land purchase was intended to be used for agriculture, as farming in Kiribati has become increasingly difficult. But President Tong indicated that he believed that the entire population of Kiribati, about 110,000 people, could live on the land purchase if necessary. Early reports claimed that this land was unsuitable for agriculture and that it was already inhabited by refugees from the Solomon Islands. But recently, a delegation from the government of Kiribati traveled to Fiji to survey the land. The Land and Environment Minister of Kiribati told the Fiji Times that the reports about squatters living on the land were not true. He made no mention of the viability of the land for agricultural purposes. So yes, Kiribati does have on paper the land, but whether it's viable for crop production or for resettlement purposes is a question that remains. The government of Fiji has previously promised that residents of Kiribati will be welcomed in Fiji should climate change force them from their homes. But preparing 20 square kilometers of land for habitation by over 100,000 people is a daunting task for a small island nation like Kiribati. So many e-Kiribati are migrating to industrial nations like New Zealand, though this is particularly difficult for e-Kiribati to do legally. 
In the 1900s, the British Empire annexed the Ikiribas island of Banaba. By 1916, all the Ikiribas islands were officially declared a British colony, known as the Gilbert Islands. The British were mainly interested in mining the rich phosphate deposits from Banaba Island. Phosphates are chemicals used in fertilizer and detergent production. In 1979, when the phosphates on Bonaba Island were exhausted, the British granted Kiribati independence. And so it's, it's a standalone nation. Um, it's an independent nation today, which is kind of also a problem because there is no tie to another nation to go to migrate to. Ikiribas have limited options for migration, but some are able to travel to New Zealand on limited work visas. Mike did interviews with many of these Ikiribas migrants in New Zealand for his dissertation. They were telling me, you know, they're going over on work visas, temporary work visas, which turned into permanent living conditions in New Zealand. And they were saying, well, we were living in houses that had three bedrooms and 20 people. Massive overpopulation of a residence. The um, companies that they worked for paid for them to fly from Kiribati to New Zealand, paid for all their uh, work visa fees and everything. And so they would work, but they wouldn't get paid because the money that they earned would go to pay back the airfare, to pay back the work visas, to pay back all these fees. And so they would work for a year or more without getting a paycheck. Or maybe they'll get $5 for a week of work. So being taken advantage of, definitely a problem. In addition to being exploited, many of the e-Kiribas who settle in New Zealand have no official status. When their work visas expire, they can simply be deported back to Kiribati. One of these e-Kiribas migrants was Ione Tesiota. Tessiota was living in New Zealand on a work visa. In 2011, after inadvertently missing a visa extension deadline, Tessiota was arrested for overstaying his visa. A local lawyer took up Tessiota's case. Considering the dire situation of fresh water and erosion in Kiribati, Tessiota's lawyer appealed to the New Zealand authorities to grant Tessiota asylum status in New Zealand as a refugee. Tessiota's case drew media attention from around the world. He became known as the world's first climate refugee. Unfortunately, the minor celebrity status didn't help. The New Zealand courts ruled against Tessiota because the United Nations Convention relating to the status of refugees does not list climate change as a condition for refugee status. Tessiota was deported to Kiribati in 2015, and his case may have set a worrisome legal precedent indicating that those people displaced by climate change have no official status or protections under international law. Though Kiribati may be the first nation to confront this issue, the problem will likely affect many island nations. If I'm looking at this map that's behind you, I see the Maldives, I see Tokelau, I see Tuvalu, I see Kiribati, I see Marshall Islands, I see the Seychelles, I see six nations, and I've done the math and it adds up to over 500,000 people. So it's a large, large amount of humanity, and the world needs to put people before profit, I think, because the profit is making all of this happen. The money is driving the changes. You know, Obama promised something like 
it was, I don't remember the exact number, but it was a significant amount of money to the Pacific Islands that were facing climate change. During the climate convention in Paris, President Obama promised that the United States would commit $3 billion to the United Nations Green Climate Fund. The Green Climate Fund was created in 2009 to provide developing nations with money to fund projects that will mitigate the effects of climate change. But the former president of Kiribati, Anote Tong, has said that these funds are almost impossible to access. The following is from President Tong's speech at the London School of Economics. From my experience over the last more than 10 years, the international community has been very, very slow in coming forward. And the reality also is we cannot get access to the Green Climate Fund because we don't have accreditation. And what frustrates me is I, I'm sure I have contributed to the formation of this fund because of my advocacy over the years. Yet we cannot get at it. We cannot ac access it because we don't have accreditation because we don't have the capacity. We have the vulnerability, but not the capacity. President Tong's assertion that the Green Climate Fund is difficult to access has been affirmed by the leaders of numerous developing nations. The accreditation process to access the funding can take years, and the bureaucratic requirements are often beyond the means of small developing nations. But President Tong believes the money itself will not solve the problem faced by Kiribati. President Tong advocates for a concept he refers to as migration with dignity. Mike Roman agrees. Um, but money, I see it, is not the answer. Um, because, sure, we might get a new road, but you're still keeping us in the islands. You're not letting us come over and start a new life or um, have opportunities. I think that's what the U.S. needs to do. They need to, and as much anti-immigration rhetoric you hear on the campaign trails from some certain individuals, um, it's going to have to happen um, because I don't think human beings can live seeing the kind of disaster that will soon come um, to other human beings, at least I hope not. Perhaps President Tong's vision of migration with dignity will come to pass, and the people of Kiribati will be allowed to migrate easily to other nations. Perhaps the international community and the United Nations will continue to ignore the problems faced by Pacific Island nations, and the people of Kiribati will become stateless refugees spread across the Pacific. Whatever the outcome, the frightening possibility is that e-Kiribati culture could be lost as people migrate. Despite being American, Mike Roman felt a deep connection with the country and its people. You mention a lot, uh, when you talk about Kiribati, you, you say we. It seems like you, you see yourself more as somebody who belongs on Kiribati and not necessarily as somebody who belongs in the United States. I think that has to do with just my number one love for the country, and my connection to the country, my family, and Kiribati, like, you know, Peace Corps, you get hooked up with the family and your host family. Even though they're not biological family, um, I went through a lot with them. Um, I grew up with them. They, from age 20, they knew me. And um, so that's why I say, you know, my family, I, I have this connection to them. It strengthens my tie to my family in a way that I've never had before. Like before I came to Kitabaza, I would get like Facebook messages from people and I and they would say, Hi, I'm your cousin from so and so and so and so. 
And I'd be like, okay, that's nice, but it's not really relevant to me. I have no idea who you are. And now that I'm here, and now that I appreciate how much you depend on your family, not just for like your social connections, but also for resources. And these resources do keep you alive. All of those second cousins, aunties, those sort of connections became way more important to me. And I think having that sense of this extended family that will take you in and love you unconditionally gives you this system of sharing that I think we really lack in the Western world. Because in the West, we just are taught to be individual and self-sufficient all the time and not to depend on other people. And now that I've been here and I have the more Islander perspective, I realize that's such a silly thought. Lulu's film is called Millennium Island. She's still in Kiribati. She's hoping to raise the funds she needs to finish production. The U.S. Peace Corps ceased operations in Kiribati in 2008. But Mike Roman is still working with other Peace Corps volunteers who served in Kiribati. They've started a project called Kiribati Keepers, which hopes to provide disaster relief and relocation assistance to Kiribati citizens whose homes have been destroyed by cyclones, king tides, and seawater invasion. Mike also started a Facebook group called Humans of Kiribati, aimed at raising awareness. Raising awareness is number one. Um, the more people that know about us, the better. Thanks for listening to the Poshcore Podcast.